That was fun. Kids, you can go downstairs now. Adults, you have to stay here with the boring preacher. Brandy, I'm going to move your music. I hope it doesn't freak you out. Oh, man, that just does my heart good this morning. You know, when Jesus had all these kids around him all the time, you know, when we do church, we've got like this moment where all the kids leave us for a minute and they go downstairs and we get adult time. And they didn't have that when Jesus, when people were following Jesus and he was teaching, they just were wherever Jesus was. So what they would do is that parents would start to send the kids away. And they, if they started to run up next to Jesus while he was teaching, he would, people would say, no, 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 no. And the disciples would start to push them away. And Jesus, that's when he stood in front of everybody. And we have it nice on our walls in our kids' bedrooms, you know, where Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And we have a picture of Jesus sitting with a child on his lap. And, and you know, that wasn't a picture somebody took with their cell phone. You know, that's something we made up. The, the actual feeling that Jesus had when he said that was some, was some anger at the parents and at the adults. To say, no, 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 you let the little kids be the little kids. You let them come to me. You let them be who they are in front of me. And then the adults who were standing around thinking that the kids were in the way, Jesus says, in fact, those of you who think you have a corner on God, you need to be like this if you want to be where God is. And they all went, ooh. And from that moment, the way people treated their children began to change. And people who followed Jesus began to change in the way that they treated their children and the way they followed Jesus. So we follow a long line of Christian people, followers of Jesus, who have decided we are going to dedicate um, the lives that we have to raising our children in the way that he would go. So, But as adults right here, right now, I want to give you a chance to do something um, that uh, maybe you haven't done this week. Um, I've been here for a few months now, and every, every Sunday I've preached, I've done this um, because I think it's the most important thing that you can do, and that is to take a deep breath this week, right here, right now in this room, and say, God, you're in charge, and I'm not. Um, that's really hard for some of you who are kind of control freaks um, to give this up. But the Bible says that Jesus speaks, in, or that God speaks in a still small voice, and he always has. Now, he can speak as loud as he wants, but he chooses to speak into the hearts of humans in a small voice so that you can quiet the stuff in your life to hear him. And that's what he wants from you right now. So whatever you believe about God, this is a great opportunity. Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're dealing with, if you can quiet the, the noise of the bills to be paid, of the schedules in your life, of the, the illnesses that you may have, if you can quiet the noise of that in your life right now and listen for God. He's never spoke to me audibly. I think that would scare me to death. Um, he's never actually spoke to me audibly. But when I get quiet, I can find a moment where I realize that what is being said to me and the way I feel is from the creator of the universe. That's what I want for you today. And that's what I need to to be in that place before I preach. So give you about 30 seconds today um, to get a chance to quiet your life. Um, whatever's the most noisy thing, say, God, would you quiet that right now so that I can hear from you? And then we'll dive in together. Let's be quiet together. God, in the quiet of this room, I'm just speaking for myself. I just need grace. I haven't been who I want to be this week. 
At times I've decided that I'm in charge and you're not. And that I'll consult you when I need something. I thank you that your mercies are new this morning and I need them desperately. Would you pour them out here? God, and then fresh, new spirit, new soul in me right now. I start by just saying, God, you're in charge. I don't even take another breath unless you choose it. The bills that are in my mailbox, they mean nothing if I don't consult you first. 401ks, the retirement plans, the bank accounts, the job at work, the house, the yard, the kids, all of it I give to you. Now, would you speak? If you choose to speak audibly, man, that'd be awesome. In my experience, normally you, you speak quietly in my heart. Would you speak? Would you move me? And would I act because of something that you're about to say? Thank you for my friend, friends today. Would you be honored by the way we listen and act in your son's name? Amen. On this Veterans Day, I can't help but think of these two. Um, next slide there, guys. Um, this is my grandpa, Mitchell, and my grandmother, Ruth. This is Al and Ruth Mitchell. Both of them passed away um, many years ago now. My grandfather um, was a, I love this picture of them. It's a little bright on the screen, but it's a really fun little picture of them. Um, grandpa was a, um, was a chaplain in the Army and was also a veteran of ministry. He was in ministry something like 60-some years. Um, a, lot of, a lot of sermons, a lot of funerals, a lot of weddings, a lot of baby dedications in my grandpa's life. Um, and I think about him today for a few reasons. One, because today is my last Sunday here um, at Northside um, as your interim, and I've spent a, a very short amount of time with you, but I've become really connected to you. And I've been trying to figure out what am I going to say? You know, what would I say if I had one more thing to say? Um, and as I've been thinking about it, I think about what happened while I was at my grandmother's funeral. Um, my grandfather and I and my family were at Eltsville Christian Church, and they were so involved in the community. They had a big funeral, and it was at the church with lots of people there. And it was about time to start the funeral, and my grandfather was just standing next to the casket. It was an open casket, and he was looking at my grandmother. And it was about time to start, and I was sitting in the back, and I was looking up, and I was just thinking how many funerals he had done. And he seemed so awkward at this one. He was always smooth. He was always so good at doing a funeral for someone he didn't know. But at this one, he felt different. And it was about time to start the funeral. And my mom and my brother and a couple of us went up to get him because it was time. And he was still standing at the casket. My mom went up. She put his arm, her arm on his shoulder and she said, Pop, what are you thinking? And 60 years of ministry, a man who had trudged his own path of faith, he looked down at what was left of my grandmother and he said, I'm thinking, I either believe it or I don't. Man, you talk about a guy who has faith and even in this moment, he has a believe it or not experience. I think if I could say anything to you, if I could say anything to you, one last thing, it would be this. Every one of you is going to have a believe it or not experience at some point. We can come in here, we can sing songs, 
When somebody asks us how we're doing, we can say we're good. We can give Sunday school answers and know all the questions and know all the Bible verses, and we can do all of that. But at some point, your belief will come to a head, and it will become real. In that moment, my grandfather said, I I realize right now I either believe it or I don't. And I had this moment of panic. Like, what happens if he doesn't? <laughs> like, all of the things he's talked to me and all of the pre- sermons he's preached, what happens in this moment if he says, you know what, I don't think I believe this? But he didn't. That would be a bad way to start a sermon, wouldn't it? <laughs> he said, I believe it. I believe I will see Ruth again. And he turned to us and he said, and I am so thankful to have a family who agrees. And today, I can't help but think of how many people in my life, how many Christians in my life, how many followers of Jesus in my life. When it comes down to a believe it or not experience, I wonder, what do they feel? Because church sitting in a blue pew on Sunday mornings is only good if it's leading us, if it's leading us to a walk with Jesus on Monday through Saturday. If you come in on a Sunday morning and, and you know how to talk and you know how to sing, and you know the words, and you know the smiles, and you know how to feel like a part of things. But it's not inside you. When it comes time for your believe it or not moment, it won't be worth it. Jesus was, when he was on earth, he, he was really good at pointing out people who were talking a good game. Um, I've got friends who, are, I play a lot of golf in my life, and i got friends, and you've you got friends like this too, who can really talk about golf. Guys who, you, when you talk to them, you're just like, man, they must be really good. They talk about a score they shot. They just know how to talk about it. And then you get on the course, and almost without fail, they hit a ball off the tee, and it goes right into the woods or into the water. And you go, yeah, this guy's a good talker, but not a good game, you know? Almost without fail. And it's, it's the guys that are quiet, that don't talk when everybody else is t- talking, that take you to school. Those are the guys you got to be scared about. And, and Jesus, when Jesus went on earth, he was really good at being able to look at religious leaders and realizing they talk a good game. In fact, he called them hypocrites, which Jesus was the first person to use the word hypocrite to refer to somebody who was a religious person who was acting. Um, it was a word that, that was used in theater. You would call an actor a hypocrite um, in the original language. And so when Jesus called them a hypocrite, what he was saying is you're just an actor. You've got this face on that everyone knows is not real, or at least Jesus knows. And it drove him nuts and it made him really mad. And so he had this group of people following him. And one day he began to preach to them. And, and you've heard, I've been here for a few months and I've preached almost all of my sermons from this sermon that Jesus preached. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And the reason is because I believe it's kind of folds in all of the things that Jesus thought were most important when he had a group of people to talk to. A group of people who were far from God and a whole bunch of religious people who were really good at talking about it but weren't following in the way that God wanted them to. And here's what he says. This is in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this, and this is at the end of his sermon. This is kind of the end of the whole sermon that Jesus had to preach here. He said, so guys, enter through the narrow gate. Now, this would have been a, a, a description of a, a shepherd at that point. A shepherd would have um, a gate that they would create. And now, since they were in the fields a lot, they would make it out of stones. And it wasn't a gate like we have, you know, where you spend a lot of money and, you, you know, you go to the, the uh, Menards and you buy the gate and you, you install it. This would have been a gate that they make out of stones wherever they are. And they would have had a narrow gate for the sheep to be able to lead the sheep through. And then sometimes the sheep would go around the gate and they would go into the wide part where the wolves would be and where other things would be. And so these little stone gates were the shepherd's way of saying this 
this is the way I want you to go if you're a sheep. And so when Jesus used this phrase, he was speaking to something that they would have seen over and over. He says, enter through the narrow gate that is the way I'm leading you. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many people enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. When I think of precious baby Josie today, I think of these two roads. I do believe that Jesus, that God can right now look down and see Josie as a baby and Josie as a 30-year-old woman and can know what road Josie's on. And so much of Josie's road depends on what she chooses in her life, which begins with setting up great rhythms in her life to find ways to choose the narrow road. Because what Jesus says is, if you don't choose the narrow gate, you end up on the wide one. You don't, nobody chooses the wide one. You just end up there. But the narrow gate is different. He says, watch out for false prophets. And I think he probably looked over at some of the religious people and eyed them a little bit. That's the kind of thing that got Jesus killed in the end. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. You can recognize them by their fruit. It's a strange thing to say if you take it out of context. It says, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? I think Jesus was probably standing around bushes and, and maybe a vineyard. Maybe different plants were around him and he could go over and he'd say, well, if someone plants a, um, a thorn bush, it's not going to grow grapes. That means things come out of us. We're producing something. And whatever you plant is what you produce. He says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Jesus wants everyone to know that's listening to him, including you today, that every human produces something. Every human right now, as you sit in your blue pew right now today, you're producing something with what's in your life. You're either giving hope and joy and peace to those around you or, which Jesus would call good fruit, or you're producing something that you wish you wouldn't. This happens in my life. I've got to be honest with you, and I'm hoping it happens in yours. Otherwise, I'm being way too vulnerable up here this morning. But every now and then, I, I, even as a follower of Jesus, I, I get into that place where I feel like I'm in charge and I forget to choose the narrow path, and I get on this wide path, and then my son does something like just takes a little longer to tie his shoes than I want him to. And out of me comes some stank. Just, would you hurry up? And it usually starts with things like this. You always, or you are a slow person, or you are so slow. And I start to speak things in him. I start to name him. And I start to change his little view of who he is. And in that moment, it usually happens where because I've got the Holy Spirit in me, because Jesus is walking in my life, in that moment, almost exactly in that moment, God will go, what did you just say? What was that? And I realize it's bad fruit. What I just said was the opposite of who I want to be. It was the wide path. It was the thing that comes out of me naturally if I don't choose the narrow path. Jesus says, everyone produces something. Where you sit right now, you don't have to believe in God. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to be a religious person. You are producing something in your life. Jesus says, I know. I know how to produce good fruit. Check this out. He keeps going. Matthew seven sixteen. He says, a good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit 
is cut down and thrown into the fire. Here's what Jesus is saying this morning. He says, every person is accountable for what they produce. Every single person is accountable for what they produce. Now, he was also very clear that you don't earn your way to heaven. It's not like you're going to do good things and good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. That is not Jesus' message. It was never Jesus' message that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. Never. His message was always, we're all bad. (laughs) Everyone would fall in the bad category. And what sends you to heaven is not what you do. It's It's who you accept, and that's Jesus as your sacrifice and as the person who goes between you and the Father. So this is not a conversation about heaven or hell. This is a conversation about what's worth something in your life and what's not. If the things in your life aren't producing good fruit, you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be, being a person that you don't want to be. Jesus says everyone will be held accountable for what they produce. He goes on at the end of this statement. Next slide. He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. You know, my grandfather was standing at the casket. And he said, I I realize I either believe it or not. What flashed through my head was not my grandfather standing there trying to believe. It was all the fruit that I'd seen in his life. It was all the times he had been patient with me. All the peace and hope and joy I had seen him give to the people around him. See, those are the things that prove what we believe in the long run. Paul later in Galatians chapter 5, this is after Jesus had gone, Paul comes onto the scene and he starts teaching churches, churches like us. He starts teaching them how to live this way. Because churches were having this problem where they were coming in, they were worshiping together, they were talking about Jesus, they were talking about their faith, but it wasn't proving out anyway. They had They were leaving their churches and had bad fruit all over the place, rotten fruit everywhere they went. And Paul was annoyed by it. He said, if you're a follower of Jesus, the way it's proven is by the good things that come out of you. He says, the fruits of the Spirit, that is the, the good fruits, are these, joy, peace, Forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That is, we have killed that part of us that, that chooses our own way. He said, we've crucified, crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. Keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. When I was in high school, my uncle saw that I was taking the wide path more often than the narrow. I was a Jesus kid. I was a follower of Jesus um, at church. But like a lot of high school students, I was really good at talking it. I had, my, I had people fooled. And my uncle must have saw right through it. He's a preacher in Bloomington now at South Union, my Uncle Jim. He must have saw right through it at one point because he put two chairs in front of me on my 16th birthday. And you've heard me do this. In fact, I brought chairs in here a few months ago. He put two chairs in front of me and he said, when you wake up in the morning, you have choice of two places that you can sit in your life. One, you can sit in the flesh chair, as Paul calls it. That is the chair that says, I'm in charge. I make my own choices. I'm a big boy. And when you're 16, that's really the chair that you want to be in. He said, but then you've got another chair that leads you to the places you want to be in your life. It leads you to the kind of person you want to be. It leads you to following Jesus. And and Paul would call that the spirit chair. And he said, the problem is you don't wake up in the spirit chair. (laughs) You wake up in the flesh chair. The passive life, you just wake up there. And he said, so you have to choose over and over and over in your life to switch chairs. 
I believe this is what Paul means when he says to stay in step with the, with the Spirit. To stay in step with Jesus. Christians, followers of Jesus, if you could today catch yourself falling into that other chair, what happens to me is I get up in the morning and I, I usually, I, I literally still use those chairs in my mind. And I say, God, would you put me in the spirit chair today? I want to live, live in step with Jesus today. I, wanna, I want that good fruit to come out of me. And then by about lunchtime, I must be just kind of slowly sliding over to the other chair, you know? And I find myself short at work. Somebody comes in and they take credit for something that I did at work, you know? And I get angry and I begin to backstab or I send a little email that's a little passive-aggressive or I do something that I wish I hadn't and the bad fruit comes out. It's like a rotten banana hanging right off of me. And what a person that's in step with the Spirit does in that moment is recognize the banana and not say, boy, I need to read more books. I need self-help books. Not say, boy, at this, I, I got to become better at that. What they say is, I must not be plugged into the right thing. You know, when a tree bears good fruit, it doesn't sit and try to be a good banana. It doesn't sit and, tr- oh, I want to make a banana. I want to make a banana. I want to make a banana. It puts itself in a place where it gets the right nutrients. It puts itself in a place, a good tree that produces good fruit, has good soil and the right sunlight and the right amount of water. And out of that environment, all of a sudden, there's a banana. That's the fruits of the Spirit. You plug yourself into the right chair, into the Spirit of God, and the right things come out of you. When you find out, Paul says, when you recognize a bad fruit in your life, you realize, I'm not plugged in. I'm not in step with the Spirit. The way to produce good fruit is to plug in to God in every moment. If I had something to say, one last thing to say to you guys here at Northside, it would be this. If you're a follower of Jesus in this place today, plug in to Jesus. Find a book. Find an illustration. Find a video. Find something that every moment of every day, when you see a bad fruit come out of you, you go find a way to plug yourself into the right places to produce the right things. It's the person you want to be. It's what it means to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian in this place today, I'm going to ask you, do not make Sundays your God time. If you're making Sundays your God time, and you're living however else you want in the other chair on Mondays through Saturdays, you are not going to end up where you want to be. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, somebody drug you in here, I want to let you know that most of the people who followed Jesus around on this earth at first didn't believe Him. They didn't believe that that He was God. They just realized this is a way of living life that leads me to something I want in my life. And as they started following Him, they became convinced that this is the Son of God. You don't even have to be convinced of that right now to begin to follow Jesus, to move yourself towards the kind of person you want to be, towards the fruits that you want to produce. As I close, band, you guys can come up. This is my favorite piece of Scripture I want to read you today. I think it was the very first piece of Scripture I read in this, on this stage. Um, And I want you to hear this this morning. This is the one that I use every morning to plug into Jesus. And I use this um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Um, I use the version of the Bible called the message because it speaks so directly into my life. But you can use the NIV. You can use whatever speaks to you. Um, Jesus says this. He says, are you tired? It's funny. When I read this, I'm almost always exhausted. (laughs) Are you tired? Yes. Kind of answer Jesus back. Are you worn out? 
Yeah. Are you burned out on religion? Guys, your preacher is tired of religion. You heard me pray it this morning. To me, religion is this thing that we, we act like something, we talk, we sing, we pretend to be something, and then we go live however we want, and somehow we believe that's going to make a difference in our lives. Religion is not what changes us. Plugging in to Jesus on a daily basis is what makes us who we want to be. And I am burnt out on religion. So is Jesus. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? I have an answer. It's not your 401k. It's not a two-week vacation to the Bahamas. You're going to have to come home and you're going to have to come back to the same junk you left. That's not the answer. That's not the thing you're looking for. He says, come to me. Try this. You've tried everything else. Jesus says, come do life my way. Northside Christian Church, what God wants from you is to be a follower of the way. Jesus never even used the word Christian. He said, you want to you follow me? You become a follower of a different way of living life. He said, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a, a real rest. He said, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And then he used this phrase. He says, learn the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. My parents live about 600 yards from my house. And my kids want to be there all the time. And I know why. Because there's something that comes out of their house. There's something that wherever my mom and dad are, there's an unforced rhythm of grace. They, they just want to be around. My kids couldn't tell you that's what it is. But everything, when they spill milk on the new carpet, my mom goes, it's okay, it's carpet, we'll clean it up. If they spill milk on my carpet, there's an emergency and the whole place erupts. Because I haven't learned the unforced rhythms of grace. It's what Sunday mornings are good for. It's what these blue pews are perfect for. You choose this as a rhythm in your life. Little Josie ought to be here every Sunday. You ought to have a rhythm for her every day where she plugs into Jesus on a regular basis. And those unforced rhythms of life create in us the right places, the right things to exude fruits of the Spirit. It's why my kids want to be at my parents' house. And it's why you want to be around people like Jesus. People who exude the fruits of the Spirit. He says, I won't lay anything ill-fitting on you. The NIV calls it a yoke. At that point, there were oxen that had these wooden yokes around their neck. And this is, they put farm implements on them, and this is how they would farm. And these oxen, as they would get older, it was important for the farmer, if the farmer loved their animals, to actually carve out part, to, to make room for the neck. Otherwise, either it would be too big and it would be awkward, or it would be too tight, it would choke the oxen. When Jesus said this, he said, my yoke is light and it's not ill-fitting. That means I care about you desperately. And the things I ask you to do aren't because I want you to work for me. It's because it's the best thing for your life. It's leading you where you want to go. And then he says this, keep company with me. Don't visit me on Sundays. Don't pretend that God lives at church. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who wants to live constricted and heavy? Jesus says, free and light, anyone? Come follow me. If you're not feeling it today, if you find yourself far from God when it comes to producing fruit, I want to invite you to a new way of following Jesus, to find rhythms in your life, 
to find ways of connecting with him on a regular basis, to do life with him, to stay in step with him, to live freely and lightly. Because each of us, like my grandfather, sooner or later will have a believe it or not moment. And in that moment, your church attendance doesn't matter. In that moment, your Sunday school lessons didn't save you. In that moment, how much you trusted Jesus and how much you engaged in the rhythms of grace will be the difference between your faith that works and your faith that was just religion. And I love you too much not to say it today. Dive into Jesus. Engage in the rhythms of grace. Jesus said my house will be a house of prayer. Every Sunday since I've been here, we've been filling this stage full of people who need it. If you need prayer today for any reason, if you find yourself far from God, you know what? He's not far from you. And you can come right up here and pray. If you find yourself hurting in one way or the other, would you fill this stage today? We'd love to pray over you. God, we thank you for the way you love us today. Would you be honored by the way we choose good fruit? Not by trying harder, but by finding ourselves in step with you. We choose the spirit chair. Whatever we chose yesterday, right here, right now, this morning, we choose the spirit chair. Would you be honored by that? Would we be driven by finding unforced rhythms of grace. God, this congregation does not take lightly what we just said to Josie and her family today. We are dedicated to making you first in her life until she can choose it for herself. God, would you be honored by our life? Thank you for the way you love us in your son's name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing?
you all for being here today you know God called you here you didn't come by accident you're here because God allowed it so to be and he's called you whether you realize it or not so thank you for being here I'm going to close us in prayer pray with me Heavenly Father we love you Lord I thank you that you called us here today And I thank you for this message that you have brought to us through Brother John. Father, I pray as we go throughout this week that you'd cause that message to be stuck in our minds, in our hearts, and that we would remember that, that we would think about that, that we would meditate upon that. That we might walk a closer walk with you because we're reminded of how great is your love. And we're reminded of how we need to be a reflection of you. And we're reminded of how we have been given a life to live. May it be an honor unto you, the life that we live. Thank you, Father, for loving us so. Dismiss us now with your blessing, I pray. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen.